0: Good morning Central Church, how are you doing today? Awesome, great to see you today. I want to welcome everyone that's watching us this morning live stream, whether that's Facebook Live or our website or the CW today. Uh, We want to welcome our downtown campus, Pastor Bill and Anya and the faith community down there. We love you guys, we're so glad you're joining us this morning. All of those that are joining us this morning in our Oakwood Chapel in Overflow, thanks for being here this morning, we're sorry for the inconvenience about that. Um, but we know that uh, hearts are full of worship and you'll receive the word just the same. For those that are watching us at JCPenney's and Target and wherever else you are this morning, I'm kidding, it seems like we have all these different places. um. Hey, do me a favor, when you came in this morning, you got a white bulletin insert, tear that perforation for me, and then here's what we do with that if you're relatively new to Central. The the wide portion has announcements and information on one side, the other side you can take notes of the message, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, The thin portion is called a communication card. If you're new to Central, uh, you can give us your contact information. But but you can also um, write down prayer requests on that. And and if you have a prayer need, please write that down on the top. And then hold on to this uh, until the end of the service because I'm going to ask you to to respond here in in, in a few minutes. But on your way out, if you have a physical offering uh, or your, your prayer request, you can drop that off in any of the boxes attached to the walls at all three of our exits so as you it says prayer requests and offerings you can drop that off This morning, make sure you you do that. And guys, I just want to, men, I want to personally challenge you to to come to the Men's Summit this this Saturday morning. Great opportunity. Tom Henderson is part of our church. He's here today. He's going to be seated at a table out in our our concourse area after the service. If you have questions about it, um, you want more information, this is our fourth year running with the Men's Summit. It's a great time of encouragement and challenge for us to grow in our relationship with God. So I just want to encourage all of you men to be a part of that. And let's pray this morning. Lord, as we heard a message about peace this morning, uh, we, we, it's hard to reconcile that with what's happening in our nation. And Lord, we, we, we bring our own hearts to you this morning and ask, not only, Lord, would you fill our hearts with peace, but, but Jesus, you said, blessed are the peacemakers, Tho- those that go into the world and, and broker peace with other people. Help us to be that kind of example, Lord, of hope and love and peace in a, in a broken world, in a world that's... Uh, divided politically and socially and racially, uh, separated by, by ideas and philosophies. We pray, Lord, that we would be those that overlook difference and walk in love and, and peace. Help us, Lord, to be a, a unifying agent in our nation today. And We pray healing over our country today, Father, in Jesus' name. We pray for our political leaders that they'd lead with wisdom, sensitivity to the needs of the nation, uh, Lord, that they'd have a a uh, collaborative spirit as they make decisions. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning, guys. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. We're in the middle of a series called The Life. It's a study in the book of John. Uh, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to jump into verse 13 in, in just a moment here. How many of you know that if you want to accomplish your goals in life, you need a game plan? If you want to attack your purpose, if you want to successfully deal with the responsibilities you have, you have to have a game plan. If one of your goals this year was to lose weight as we started a new year, you need a game plan. You need to do some research. You need to look up different diets. You need to find the one that's right for you. You need to determine what food am I going to cut out of my diet, what food am I going to include in my diet, you need, to, you need to determine what, what exercise regimen am I going to include in my lifestyle to help burn some of those extra calories. And then the most important thing is, how am I going to sustain this? What changes in my lifestyle am I going to make in order to sustain the weight loss, not, not lose all the weight I want in six weeks or eight weeks and then put it all back on again because I don't have a plan? You need a game plan. Well, every coach needs a game plan. I, I, I called my, my good friend Coach O over at Augustana this week, who's the football coach there. I said, Coach, when you go about preparing a game plan, what, is, what does that entail? I, I've been a coach, but, but not a football coach. I was interested in what they do. He said, well, we play every Saturday afternoon. Not during COVID, I get that. But uh, normally we play every Saturday afternoon. As soon as that game is over, we begin watching film of our game and films of the, other, the team that we're going to be playing the next Saturday. And we have to do an immediate assessment of our team. We have to look at the injury report. Was anybody injured today that's not going to be available to us next week? He says, as we watch the film, we ask ourselves, what do we do really well? What are our strengths? How can we leverage our strengths against our opponent? And how can we cover our weaknesses? And then we start watching all kinds of film of the team that we're going to play. And he said, we, say, we ask the same question with that. What, what do they do really well? How can we neutralize their strength? And how can we exploit their weakness? And he said, but one of, the, one of the, the, the newest trends is the whole idea of analytics and tendencies that teams have. There's so much data and information that they compile about what a team does, what a team has a tendency to do. So he started talking about things like, you know, do, do they play well when, they're, when they fall behind early? How do they come back? If, you're, if you put a team in that position, how do they respond? On the defensive side of the ball, how often do they blitz? Uh, what's the defensive scheme? And all of these different Analytics and tendencies go into this game plan. It was just fascinating to me to talk about everything. He said, by by Monday afternoon, we've we've established the game plan. Our coaches are in unity about that. We begin to talk to our players about that, and we stick to it the whole week, into the game, all the way through the game, because you trust the process. Amen? You get a game plan, and you stick with it. Now, now guys, some of you are trying to get a date. I, I get that, some of you young guys. And, dude, you need a game plan, right? You need to figure this out. If you, if you want to land that lady, you want, you want, to, you want to get a date with her, and, you, and maybe you want a, a longer relationship with her. Maybe, maybe you need to grow your hair out a little bit longer. I'm just throwing out some suggestions here this morning. Maybe you need to grow a Dennis Weaver mustache. Google Dennis Weaver because you probably don't know who he is. Look at Dennis Weaver's mustache, McLeod. That's a real mustache. You may need to get some high-top slip-on boots. And you may need to figure out what an angel's flight suit is and get yourself one, like this, right here. See, that's what I'm talking about, right there. That was my first date with my bride. Never look back, bro. I would never look back after that. It's all it took. I don't know if it was the angel's flight suit, the slip-on high-top boots, the Dennis Weaver mustache. I put that picture back up. And ladies... For you, maybe you pick up some weird Victorian dress. I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> it, it was the eyes and the smile, not the dress. That... Game plan. We need a game plan if we want to accomplish our goals. In life. How many of you know God has a game plan? God has a game plan for humanity. And, and in John chapter 3, he explains to us what that, what that game plan is exactly is. Do you know what his game plan is? God's game plan is to save people from destruction. That's his game plan. To save people from eternal destruction and a destructive lifestyle. That's God. His his game plan is not to condemn you. It's not to judge you. It's not to shame you. His game plan is not to pour out his wrath on you. It's not to suck the joy out of life It's not to make your life miserable. The game plan of God for your life is to save you from destruction. Eternal destruction and a destructive lifestyle. As we look in John chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 13 this morning. And I I want to pick it up where Nathan, Pastor Nathan, who did a great job last week with the first 12 verses, Of John chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 to 21. Verses 1 through 21 in John chapter 3 is a conversation. It's a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jewish religious leader, and he came to Jesus at night for fear of his reputation. He didn't want people seeing him coming and asking Jesus questions about salvation. We've all been there, right? A little afraid to identify with Jesus in front of other people. Well, that was, that was Nicodemus, and Nicodemus, you know, the, the, the rabbis and the, the, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, they memorized the entire Torah. The Torah was the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Can you imagine memorizing Leviticus? Come on. What a drag that had to be. Many of us haven't even read those, those first five books of the Bible. They memorized them. That, that, we'll see that that's important as we get into the story. So, John chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is giving himself credibility here to talk about God's game plan. He says "No, no human born into the world has ever gone to heaven, learned about heaven, and then come back down. Jesus, on the other hand, was in heaven. And he came to the earth to explain to us heavenly reality. So Jesus is saying, I, I, I know a few things about heaven and God and, and the game plan that he has for you. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now what's that all about? Okay, we're going to look at that story in Numbers chapter 21 in just a second. But Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who knows everything about the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, and he's beginning this conversation with something that Nicodemus knows. He wants to tell Nicodemus about salvation, but he starts the conversation with an Old Testament story that would have been familiar to Nicodemus. What a great method of evangelism in our day, right? As you talk to people, what do they know about God? What's what's their understanding of God? Start there and begin to lead them to a conversation about who Jesus Christ is. You have to start with what they know, which is what Jesus does here with Nicodemus. Verse 16, for this is how God loved the world, or God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, not be destroyed eternally, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Verses 16 and 17 summarize God's game plan. God came to save. God came to save humanity from eternal destruction. He didn't come to judge the world, condemn the world, make the world feel terrible about themselves. He came to save the world. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in Christ. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment of God is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. Who is God's light? What is he talking about there? Jesus, right? John chapter 1, we learned that Jesus is the light that comes into the world. He's the light of the world. So the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. Jesus came into the world with a game plan and a mission. But people loved what? Darkness more than light. They wanted to live their own life. They loved their own sinful, pleasure-filled life. They, they, They didn't want someone coming in and telling them how to live life. They loved the darkness. They loved a life of sin more than they wanted to follow the Savior. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light, and they refuse to go near the light for fear that their sins will be exposed. They don't want to give it up. They don't want someone pointing out what they're doing that's wrong and to be asked to change. They want to live their life the way they want to live it. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. So what do these verses teach us about God's game plan for humanity? I want to suggest four things. If you're taking notes, you can follow along. The first is this. God's game plan is available by faith. It's available to all of us by faith, by believing in Christ. Now, I mentioned that Jesus begins with Nicodemus in in trying to tell him God's game plan by pointing him to an Old Testament story. So keep your finger in John chapter 3, turn back into the Old Testament, fourth book of the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 21. I want to read this story so you understand what Jesus is telling Nicodemus about faith. Numbers chapter 21, we're going to begin reading in verse 4. The context of this is... God has delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, from Pharaoh. They've left Egypt. They're in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. But God has already delivered them from Egypt, and they're in the wilderness wandering to the promised land. Verse 4. The people of Israel became impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and against Moses, to curse God for the crummy circumstances that they were in, saying things like this. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. Well, hold on. Was that why God brought them out of Egypt? To make them miserable in the wilderness? To make their life stink? No. God was leading them to a land of fulfillment. A land flowing with milk and honey. God was taking them to the promised land. But they begin to complain about the conditions they're in. You know what that is? Right? You ever complain about your conditions? Even though you know God's leading you somewhere, you you complain to God about the journey in getting there. That's what they were doing. And And then they said this, there's nothing to eat and nothing to drink. We hate this horrible manna. Ever hear kids say that? We hate this. All we ever have is this. Well, that's what I'm like. This is a disaster. Are you kidding me? I still act like this. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. What? Come on, Lord. I have to go through this. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. Ouch. Watch your mouth, right? And many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. They had been given the law not too long ago, and the first couple of commandments you know, have no other gods before me, make no idols. Don't take the the name of the Lord in vain. Taking the the name of the Lord in vain is is saying God isn't what he says he is, that God doesn't care, that God isn't good. That's what they're doing in the wilderness. They're they're breaking God's laws. and There's a penalty when you break the law of God. We've sinned. They recognize they've sinned by speaking against the Lord. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed to the Lord for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at this replica bronze snake. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone, say anyone, anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Okay, so the story that he's telling Nicodemus is, remember that story in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness and they started complaining and murmuring and cursing God for their situation and God sent snakes to bite them, poisonous snakes, and many of them were sick and many of them died, but God made a provision for them even in the wilderness that they could be saved if they simply looked at the brazen serpent on the pole. So the, the point there is that when, you, when they looked at the snake, it reminded them of their sin, it reminded them that they had sinned against God, and therefore God had sent these snakes. But God said, if you look at in faith the serpent on the pole, you'll be delivered. So there's, there's a picture of salvation in the Old Testament. So he's trying to transi- transition Nicodemus from an understanding of the Old Testament into an understanding of the New Testament and the salvation that comes through Christ, right? So here's what he says. He says to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What's that a reference to? The cross. The snake was put up on a pole. The Son of Man is going to be put on a tree on a cross to die for humanity's sin. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes, say believes, puts faith in him, will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who what? Believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 18. There is no judgment against anyone who believes. So he walks Nicodemus through the story in Numbers chapter 21 and says that the principle there was that if you you see Christ hanging on the cross, you recognize you're a sinner, you recognize that Jesus is the son of God, you recognize that God raised him from the dead. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Delivered. From eternal destruction. Just like the Old Testament snake in the wilderness, if you, if you look at Jesus on the cross and, and are sorry for your sin and confess your sin to the Lord, you can be delivered from eternal death. Well, that's good news, right? Anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. But the reality, friends, is that, that faith in God is not just uh, mentally agreeing with some truth, there are always actions. That follow faith. In, in everything in life, there's an action that follows belief. So if we got a weather report today that said tomorrow from 8 in the morning until 8 at night, we're going to get 10 to 12 inches of snow. Okay, let, let's put aside our belief in, the, in, in the, the weather people for a second. Let's just put that, let's say that we believe it, okay? Let's say that we, we believe that that's coming, right? It's going to change the way you go about your day. You may not want to go to the store when there's 10 to 12 inches of snow coming down. You may want to go tonight in preparation for tomorrow. You might want to leave home a little bit earlier because it's going to take you a little bit longer to get to work. You might dress differently. You might plan differently. Instead of eating out Monday night, you might, you might eat in and go to the store tonight. You understand what I'm saying? There are actions that you take if you actually believe that something is true. All through the Old Testament, the children of Israel had to act on their faith. They had to follow up what they believed with some type of obedient action. So if you remember the story of the Passover, God said this was the last plague he was bringing on Egypt. He was going to kill all of the firstborn males in Egypt, including the people of Israel, if they didn't follow his instructions. So God said, tonight I'm going to pass over the land of Egypt, and I'm going to strike down, I'm going to judge every family Except the families who take the Passover lamb and, and slay it and, and spill its blood and take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost of your home. Every home that I see the blood of the lamb on, I will pass over. That's the Passover. What if they said, Yeah, yeah we believe that, but they, they didn't put the blood on the doorpost? What if they didn't follow up what they believed with what God said to do? Would they be saved? No, They said they believed it, but, but they didn't demonstrate that they believed it by obeying what God said. So, so faith is what saves us, not actions. But actions demonstrate that we genuinely have faith in our heart. Here's what James says about this, chapter 2. James says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? Faith that isn't supported, belief that isn't supported by a lifestyle, a change. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. They're desperately in need of physical help. And you say to them, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, be filled, eat well. But you don't give that person any help, any physical help. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. So you say, I really feel bad for your situation. James is using this. I I just I feel so terrible. I, I really hope that you get what you need, but I don't do anything to help them. You know what James says? You really don't care. You say you care, but you really don't. Because if you genuinely saw that person's need, that they had nothing, and knew that you had the ability to help them, and you tell them, I want you to have help, but you don't help them, you're lying. You don't care about them. You're not concerned, even though you say it. Know the Scripture. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, He said, I go to church, you're you're my God. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter the kingdom. I'm going to let you wrestle with that. I'm going to let you wrestle with that tension. We are not saved by any human action. We are saved by grace Through faith alone, amen, we are saved by looking at the Lord Jesus Christ and believing that he died for our sin, believing that he was raised from the dead. But from that point on, that belief, that trust, that changed life that comes through the Holy Spirit had better translate into a changed life. Don't tell me you're a Christ follower if you're not following Christ in your life. Don't tell me you're you're a Christ follower if there's absolutely no change in your life and you're living for you every minute of the day and you're not even thinking about God. What, what, what good does that do you? To say that you're a Christian, a Christ follower, if there's no fruit in your life. Jesus said you can judge a person's life like a tree by the fruit. Is there any fruit of obedience to Christ? Is there any fruit of allegiance to Jesus? Is there any fruit of thankfulness for what Jesus did in your life? Is there any fruit to a life of surrender to him? God has a game plan for us. It's, it's to save us from destruction, and it's, it's available by faith. It's also available to everyone. This incredible plan of God is available to everybody. Not just a few people that God chose before the foundation of the world, his favorites that he wanted to to bless and say, no, this is for everyone. Here's what John says. For this is how God loved the world. He loved who? The world. When when, Scripture is referencing the world, it's it's not referencing a select group of people. It's referencing everyone in the world. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. That who? Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save who? The world. Through him. God's game plan is for all of humanity. And all of humanity needs God's game plan because everyone is a sinner. Paul says all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone born into this world, everyone in the world is a sinner in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So you can think in your life about people that maybe don't know Christ. And there could be people on two different ends of the spectrum. There there could be people that are just bad people, like evil people. Maybe you don't know them personally, but you know them from the news or you know them from, from TV or other people. They're not good people, they're evil. They need Christ. Well, that's obvious, right, that they need Christ. But you also know people that maybe don't know Christ, but they're genuinely good people. They care for people. They're kind to people. They're generous to people. They don't do a lot of bad things. They're, they're morally good people. They need Christ. Jesus came for the whole world because the whole world is infected with sin. The people we think are good morally and the people that we think are bad morally all equally need Christ. A couple scriptures. Paul says in the first part of 1 Timothy 2 that we're to pray for all humanity and we're to pray for our, spirit, our, our, our leaders. He says this is good and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants what? Everyone, everyone to be saved. What's the heart of God? He sent his, his son on a mission to save the world. He wants everyone, go back, he wants everyone, go back please, to be saved and to understand the truth. It's not limited. It's inclusive. Go to the scripture in John. This is John in his letter, his first epistle. He himself, Jesus Christ, is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, he's speaking of of John himself, the apostles, the church. Not just for our sins, but the sins of all the world. God's provision is for humanity. It's, It's not just available by faith and it's not just available to everyone. But it's available because of love. It's available because of love. Not not the love that you and I experience. Not the love that you and I demonstrate. This is a totally different love. The, The love of God, the agape love of God, is love that pursues relationships with people who hurt us, hate us, and are ungrateful when we do good things for them. Now, how many of you pursue relationships with people that hurt you, hate you, rebuke you, and when you do kind things for them, they're ungrateful and don't even want to receive your goodness. How many of you pursue relationships with people like that? Most of us don't. But not the love of God. The love of God pursues all people. See, the love of God, here, here's what John says in 3.16. You know this first. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This whole thing is, this whole mission This whole plan of God is motivated by his love. The first thing we need to understand about God's love is is God loves us right here, right now, in the condition that we're in right now. I want you to think about about two things. First, I want you to think about your worst moral failure, the biggest sin you've ever committed, the most devastating thing to your life, the thing that brought, it could be recent, it could be in, in the distant past, the thing that brought you the most shame in your life, The thing that brought you and the people around you the most hurt in your life. The thing that maybe made you feel like, my life can't go on. I can't continue. I've hurt people. I've ruined my life. That sin, that moral failure. How did you feel at that moment in life? God's love never changed toward you. And God continued to pursue you. If you weren't a Christian, he continued to go after you. If if you were a Christian, he continued to love you because his mission is to save people from destruction, eternal destruction and a destructive lifestyle. God continues to go after us. Right here. right. Aren't you glad for that? Come on, somebody. My goodness, I can think of the horrendous moments in my life when I just ruined my life. I mean, I sinned horrifically and God's love was constant and steady and he continued to pursue me in the midst of that. And that's how God feels about everyone in your relational world. His love is steady and constant. Now I want you to think about someone in your life that, that you don't want anything to do with. That may not be hard. Someone that's hurt you, someone that's abused you, Someone that's deeply offended you, someone that talks about you evil to other people, someone that's taken something of value. For, who is that person in your life? The person you don't want anything to do with. God does. And God's pursuing them right now. He's pursuing them for a relationship with Himself. He's pursuing them to deliver them from destructive habits in life, to give them the life they've always wanted. Even when you won't pursue people because of how they've treated you, God will pursue them. Can you even fathom that kind of love? That's the love for the world that has rejected God, hated God, walked their own way, said no thanks to God. Here's the hand, God. Talk to the hand. I don't want anything to do with you. I want to live my life like I want to live. God doesn't quit. He didn't quit on you, and he doesn't quit on them. Come on, somebody. Just thankful for the faithfulness of God, the faithful, unchanging love of God. I look back on my life, and he really should have quit on me. He should have given up on me, and he didn't. People gave up on me. He, he never he never did. Great love of God. Not only is God's love come to us by faith, and not only does it to come to everyone, and not only is it because of love, but it's, it's available, but it's optional. It's available, but we have to choose it. God doesn't choose it for you. No one can choose it for you. This is a choice that you have to make. You have to choose to accept the saving grace of Jesus Christ in your life or reject it. Here's what John says in verses 18 and 19. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in Christ, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. Look at that. God's not the one judging them there. They've already been judged by their own decision to reject Christ. Anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, Jesus came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. Do you know what's going to happen on Judgment Day? People think that, that you know, God is the one that, that is, is imposing his judgment on us. No, we're imposing it on ourselves. Essentially, what's going to happen on Judgment Day is is those that don't know Christ are going to stand before him, and and he's going to say, I came to rescue you. I came to save you. I went to the cross so that you could have life with me. And you made the decision to reject my salvation. You you made the the decision. Judgment has already come on those who have chosen to reject Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12. I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say in this life will either acquit you or condemn you. If you say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I receive your forgiveness and I want to live for you acquittal. If you say, thanks but no thanks, I I, I don't really believe that you're God. And if you are, I don't want anything to do with you. Condemnation, judgment. You choose. You make that decision. I want to show you a video here that kind of illustrates this. I want you to look for three things. First thing I want to say is ignore the, the poor, uh, broken grammar. It's, it's uh, written from a European perspective, and there's just some, some grammar, some English that isn't like we would say it. So ignore that. I want you to look for three things. I want you to look at the severity of the storm, I want you to look at the vulnerability of the ship. And I want you to think about that this mission was enacted for one person. Go ahead. So you and I and everyone in your relational world is standing on that boat. And the offer of rescue and salvation has come in the, in the person of Jesus Christ to save you. And you have a choice to make. You can stay on the boat with a broken arm, unable to pilot that ship, unable to lead that ship to safety, unable to bring that into a safe. You can stay on the boat and say, hey, hey, thanks, but but no thanks, I'm good. Or you can receive the salvation of Christ that comes through faith. You can can accept his offer to take you off of the boat. What's your decision today? What's the decision of those in your relational world today that, that don't know Christ? Maybe today you need to, for the first time, receive Jesus Christ and commit your life to following him. Maybe today your decision is, as we talked about what faith is and what belief is, there's always action attached to it. Maybe your decision is God's been talking to you about moving in a direction, and you're you're not doing what God wants you to do. You need to to act. You need to move in faith with with what God is saying. Maybe that's your action today. Maybe your action is taking this message of God's game plan to the people of your relational world and, and let them know that they can be rescued by faith in Christ. This is for everyone. Right here, right now, God loves you, but you have to choose. Would you stand with me this morning? What's your decision? Stay on the boat or receive the help that you need today from Christ? And some of you are facing other decisions, and you're just trying to do it yourself. You're just trying to say, I I got this, and God's offering you his help today, and you're not buying it. You're not accepting. Maybe your decision today is, okay, God, I'm going to do this your way. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for this powerful truth of of your mission, your, your game plan for humanity, to save us, not to condemn us, not to judge us, not to humiliate us, not to take joy away from us, but to give us the life you've intended for us. If you're here this morning and you need to, for the first time, say, Jesus, I need to be rescued. I need my sin forgiven. I can't do this myself. Would you pray with me that right now God would forgive your sin? Just invite Jesus Christ to forgive your sin. Say, Lord, I believe you went to the cross for me. Please take my sin. And Lord, I I pray that you'd give me the Holy Spirit so I can, by, by the power of your Spirit, live differently today, to follow you with my whole heart. Lord, for the rest of us this morning that already know you, help us to live by faith. Help us to live a life of action, not just mental belief. Help help us to, Lord, demonstrate how much we love you, how much we believe in you, by following your word and obeying your truth. In Christ's name, amen. May you accept God's game plan and be saved from destruction. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. God bless you.